Hey, good morning, Lake Hills Church. You know, every time that we gather, I am so excited about what can be, what God wants to do in every life who is a part of a worship service, whether it's online or here in the room. But today I'm especially excited. Mike and Lori Ward have been a part of our church family for over six years, and Mike has been on our staff for the last two and a half as our CFO. Mike is a gifted, gifted leader and an amazing, amazing asset to our team here at the church. And today, God is gonna speak through him into the life of our church. And so I want you to please stand to your feet and give a crazy in-house Lake Hills welcome to our very own Mike Ward. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Today is a big day. See, normally pastor gives me two minutes once a month in between worship and the, his sermon to talk about giving. But today, full sermon. Twice. Second one. It's a big day. I don't know how many of you have done public speaking before. Maybe in school, at work, presentation, MC at a wedding, maid of honor speech maybe on stage at a church. But for me, doing something like this for the first time, a lot of preparation, a lot of time spent, not just on the content and material that I wanna say, but I watch videos of those that have done it before. I wanna see, how do they move on stage? I'm a hand talker, how often do they use their hands? How do they get emphasis behind a key point that they want people to take away? I got caught onto these videos maybe a little too long. I started to look at what do they wear? I went, Pastor Mac, Bill Jones, they can pull off a good pair of cowboy boots. I got skinny jeans. I mean, I've heard those don't go. I've seen Mac even throw off the jean shirt, jean pants. I mean, that's the Canadian tuxedo. That's my uniform. And then I found a site called Preacher's Sneakers on Instagram. You can look it up. And I went, all right, Preacher's rocking a good pair of sneakers, like Stan Smith's I'm rocking right now. Skinny jeans. I went, okay, that's my get up. That's what I'm going to pull off today. Put a lot of time and emphasis into preparing for today. As I've told you guys before in those times that I've been on stage, born and raised up in Toronto, Canada. Mom and a dad, dad in sales, still in sales, doing the same job today as he did 38, 40 years ago. Mom grew up in ministry. She ran a kid's camp up there where I grew up in my summers, spending up time on the lake. I have two younger sisters who are two years younger uh, than me. I grew up wanting to be a professional hockey player, and I doubt in my mind I was going to the NHL until about the ninth grade when the boys started to get bigger and faster, and I didn't. Started to put my mind towards, well, I'm going to be a business person. I'm going to chase a career whatever industry that may be, but I want to be a CEO. I want to run a company. I want to kind of do all the things that you get to do being a businessman. I went to school stateside, came stateside into Virginia, played hockey for college, but studied finance to start that career. Went back to Toronto, went into an industry called FinTech, which is technology for financial services, try to disrupt the big incumbent. And as I started my career, about 13, 13 and a half years ago, I met my beautiful wife, my best friend, Lori. 
13 years this September. This career of mine took us from Toronto to San Francisco. Moved there almost 10 years ago and had our two little girls, Mason and Blake. And now we get to call Austin home. Been here for the last six years and probably a place that we will be hard for us to ever leave. But that's all stuff that you can read about me on LinkedIn and Facebook and such. What you can't see there is that I am extremely competitive. I have big goals, big dreams. I'm driven. I'm aggressive with those expectations. I don't mind hearing the word no. No, that can't be done. I'm like, game on. Let me prove that. I have a lot of strong characteristics in that, which you may go, well, that's great. That sounds really positive. There's some negative sides to that. I want it to be about me. I've struggled in the past, especially making it about me. I want to control that outcome. I want to manipulate the game so that it's more about me. We live in a me-first world. Starts at a young age. Any new parents in here teaching their kids some words for the first time, probably mom and dad, but please, have you ever taught your kids me or mine? Yet they seem to know it. And then we get into the teenage years. Boy or girl, you start to do the comparisons. You start to compare me against others. I want to be thinner than them. I want to be stronger than them, smarter. We don't stop at as adults. I want to be richer. I have a bigger house. I want it to be about me. This isn't just something that is from this decade or these generations. Social media has multiplied, probably this me mentality. But this has been going on for a few thousand years. C.S. Lewis, I think, sums it up pretty good for us, too. He goes, we don't take pride in the possession itself, but having more of it than someone else. Me first. Today, we're starting a new series called Struggle, the story of Jacob. And so if you guys have your Bibles with you or your devices, please turn with me to Genesis 25. We're going to kick off Jacob's life. We start by his parents, Isaac, son of Abraham. We've been talking about Abraham here of the past. And Rebekah, his wife. They're 40 years old, got married a little later on in life, especially those you know, in the South. They want to have children. They know at that age, a little harder, and so they pray to God. They plead to God. They say, God, allow us to build this family of ours. Allow us to have some children. And so God blesses them with twins. Careful what you pray for. And as Rebecca goes through the early stages of the pregnancy, she starts to feel this discomfort, this moving and changing, but not normal. I can't relate, but, you know, just this battling going on inside of her. Enough so that she's concerned. And she goes to God and prays 
and says, God, what is going on? Like, is something wrong inside of me? And he replies, he goes, Rebecca, dear, no, everything's going to be fine, but, but the sons in your womb will be like two nations, and these two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other. Your older son will serve your younger son. Imagine getting that news. Rebecca probably goes back to Isaac going, dear, we wanted kids. We knew kids are going to be hard. Twins, probably even harder. And they're going to bicker and they're going to be kids. But God's warned us now, this is going to be extreme. Two nations, they're going to be considered. Rivals. It's going to be a divide. I pictured Lori coming to me saying, hey, this is what God just told her. And I went, well... I'm going to take the younger, more successful one. You take the older one, and I'll live upstairs. You live downstairs. Let's try to divide and conquer and make this better than this rivalry that could be there. So nine months go by. Rebecca in the birthing room. Isaac there, about to have these boys, these competitors. And the first one comes out, and they go, whoa. What's this? The baby's covered in red, full of hair, not a full head of hair, but just covered in hair. The second one born, grasping his brother's heel, going, uh uh-uh, let me out first. I want to be the older one. And these two babies sitting there now, probably in Isaac's arms. And as parents do at this stage, If they hadn't already, they'd come up with a name. So they turn to Google, and they're looking there, and they're going, well, what are the top names right now? And they've got the first one, Red and Harry. They go, well, Hare. What is Hare in Hebrew? Well, that that sounds like Esau. So we're going to name you Esau for Hare. Poor kid. The second one, they go, well, you're a heel grabber. You, You were grabbing onto your brother's heel. Heel in Hebrew sounds like Jacob. We're going to call you Jacob and Esau. I know, very creative back then. Now, this is an important part of the story because the oldest son back then got the birthright. The birthright came along with honor, came along with leadership, family. Those around you are going to follow you. It's a special place to be. There's also the blessing. The blessing is what Abraham has received, pass on to Isaac, and now Isaac to be able to pass on to his sons. And that blessing could be a lot of richness, a lot of inheritance. The oldest, the one with the birthright, normally would get a bigger percentage, bigger piece of the pie. And sometimes the whole pie. So being the oldest, Esau, there's something special here. Being the oldest at home, with my parents watching, I'm waiting to hear about what my blessing's going to be. And so there's something special about being the oldest. 
the boys grew up, grew up to be very different individuals. Remember, God's already kind of pre-warned Rebecca and Isaac saying, these two are going to be rivals, going to be competitors. But Esau grows up to be a skillful hunter, very talented out in the wilderness, goes out most days, hunts, shoots, kills those animals, brings them home for food, for the family, for the village. I can just picture this big man covered in hair walking through the forest. I think it's probably where the Bigfoot program came from. But very talented. Favorite of Isaac. So Isaac picks sides and going, you're my boy. I'm going to pick you. You're my favorite. You've got Jacob. Jacob stays at home. Works in the kitchen, bakes, mama's boy. Favorite of Rebecca. So you've got dysfunction starting at this stage in life, not only because God's pre-warned you that there's going to be this struggle, but mom and dad haven't helped it. Mom and dad have picked sides. And they're helping encourage this rivalry. Well, Esau one day goes and gets up very early, puts on the camouflage, goes out, gets into the tree stand, and starts to do a full day of hunting. Full day of bringing the food back for the family. And as he comes home after a long day, he walks into the kitchen to smell Jacob cooking this incredible meal. And he says, brother, man, that smells good. I am starving. Haven't eaten all day. He goes, I could really use a bowl of stew. Jacob goes, yeah, of course. Of course, let me get you something. But before I do, I'll trade you that bowl of stew for your birthright. For this, what comes to being born first. You give me that, I'll give you a bowl of stew. Esau didn't even take a second to think about it. Yeah, of course. Trade you. Jacob's probably sitting there pouring this big bowl of stew, probably now adding a slice of bread with it, going, it's fantastic, this was easy. Esau eats it and leaves. And you're probably going, well, what stands out about this? We could look at it from Esau's side and go, poor guy. He didn't come home and have Uber Eats just on the phone to be able to deliver some food quickly to him. He just wanted a bowl of soup, bowl of stew. But Esau went out every day and lived this life. Esau probably came home most days hungry. If he truly wanted that birthright, he could have gone found some other food. But to him, he didn't really care for it to begin with. Even though God had this plan for him and blessed him to be that firstborn and all those things that came with it, he gave it up for a bowl of stew. Now we can look at it from Jacob's side and go, buddy, it's your brother. He's hungry. He just wanted a bowl of stew. Really? As parents, we probably look down at our kids if they were younger. Now, these are grown adults, but if they were younger and go, bad, that, that was a bad trade. Fair trade, but bad trade. 
he took advantage of the situation of his brother who was hungry at the time. That's where it starts to get good. To now later on in life, Isaac is probably nearing about 120 years old, he's going blind, he's starting to go, these are my later stages in life. I don't know how much longer I've got to live. So he calls his favorite, he calls Esau into the family room and says, hey boy, why don't you go out and kill some good wild game and, and let's cook a good meal tonight. And after the meal is done, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this inheritance, this program that comes with this birthright of yours. Esau goes, all right, great, it's finally here. Runs upstairs, gets all dressed up, heads out the door. Well, as this conversation is happening, Rebecca's sitting there on the other side of the wall going, it's going down tonight. And runs to the kitchen to find her favorite, Jacob, and says, Jacob, tonight your dad is going to give all these blessings to your son, or to Esau, to your brother. I've got a plan. I've got a plan. Why don't you go out and get from the flock two goats, bring them in, and I'll cook one of your dad's favorite meals. You go figure out how to talk to him and make him believe that you're Esau. And we'll switch this game tonight. We'll make this about you. Jacob goes, Mom, no way. No way can we pull this off. I sound different. My skin's different. Smooth. My hands are soft. I work with oils and flour all day. He for sure will know that we're tricking him. It won't, it won't work. And Rebecca goes, the curse is on me if we get caught. Don't worry, let's go. Now, I know what you're probably thinking as I was doing this research and going, what a mom. Trying to influence her son like this? Jacob at this time is 76 years old. He's gone through a little bit of life. Probably has a good head on his shoulders to not be controlled and manipulated by his mom like this. Now, why is Jacob 76 years old and still living at home? I'll leave that for Pastor Mac to talk about. But 76 years old. So Jacob goes out, gets the two good goats, comes back to mom in the kitchen, goes, all right, you've got the meal prepared, and runs up, stares to Esau's room, to the closet, and goes, well, I've got to smell and look like and feel like Esau. So goes through the outfits that he would put on to be out in the wilderness doing his hunting and puts some of that clothing on. He finds some animal skin that's rough and covered in hair and lays that on his arms and on his hands. Probably thinking that he needs to smell good. Man, you know, the outdoors, a little Stetson cologne too. Runs downstairs to his dad in the family room and says, hey dad, dad, come up to the table. We've got dinner for you. We've got a great meal, one that you're going to love. And let's get this blessing program going. Isaac goes, who is this? Who, who are you? Not recognizing Esau. Jacob goes, well, it's me, Esau. 
It's your favorite. It's your firstborn. I'm here to serve you dinner. Isaac is still not sold, saying, but how did you find it so quickly? Ready for this? Jacob goes, the Lord your God put it in my path. He's going all in on this one. Jacob goes, well, but the voice sounds, sorry, Isaac goes, the voice sounds like Jacob. Let me touch you. And as he walks over, he goes, but the skin, it feels like Esau. Okay. Why don't you go get me that meal? And I'll pass on these blessings. Jacob runs into the kitchen. Right? Rebecca's probably again listening in, going, oh man, this is working. She has the tray set up, nice dinner, glass of Cabernet, and goes, here, take this into your dad. Walks in, says, dad, we've got a great meal, a great glass of wine for you. I'm ready for the blessing. And so as Isaac's eating, he stops and says, son, come over here so I can give you a kiss. And I'm going to read these verses to you. It's Genesis 27, 27 to 29. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he, finally, he was finally convinced, and he blessed his son. He said, ah, oh, the smell of the sun is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, May God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down. And all who curse you will be cursed and all who bless you will be blessed. The blessing has now happened. Esau comes back from hunting, walks in the room and goes, what's going on? Probably looks over at Jacob going, what are you doing? You mocking me? You're dressed up like me. Sees a plate of food in front of Isaac. He says, dad, I thought I was cooking dinner. Isaac goes, well, who's this? Again, remember, he's blind. He says, it's Esau. It's your favorite. And Isaac goes, oh, son, Esau, I'm so sorry. Your brother tricked me. Your brother brought me this food and pretended to be you, and I've, I've blessed him. Esau goes, no, 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 but please wait. Like anything you could do, there's got to be something left in the bank. He goes, no, I gave it all. I gave it all. See, Jacob, probably very determined, driven, not satisfied with the path that was set up, therefore constantly trying to drive to something different, bigger. Again, many of those characteristics that we can look at and go, those can kind of be positive. But went about it the wrong way, manipulated, deceived the situation, for an outcome that he wanted. 
as I mentioned in the beginning of the service, I have struggled with this me first type program. In life, in key decisions, there's been times where I've really had to sit down and make sure that what does God want? What's a God first decision? I'm gonna leave you with this little story. It was January of 2019. I get a text message from Pastor Mac. I had met him about a few times now. I think we had done dinner once. And so the text message saying, hey, Mike, can you come into my office? I want to have a coffee with you. Felt like I was being called to the principal's office. Told Lori that Pastor wants to see me, and we're both going, well, what could this be about? I come into his office to have a great chat about what's going on in each other's lives and some small talk. For him to start to tell me that the church was looking for someone to come in and help with the operations, to help with the strategy, with the finances. Here's where we've been over the last 20 years. Here's what we're trying to do today. And as he's describing this to me, in the back of my mind, I'm going, and I don't have a network for this. I don't know whose name I could put forward to him. I mean, I'm in the business world. I can find a salesperson for him. And then it starts to clue in. And as I'm not shy to do, I go, Mac, are you asking me? He goes, well, I haven't asked. And I said, well, good. Well, let's just stop the program here. I said, I'm not a church employee type guy. I like the business world. I like to go sell stuff. I like to lead people and make you know, decisions and problem solve and and I was given every excuse, and I go, it's just not for me. I watched my mom in ministry. It's just, that's not for me. He says, okay. Continues to talk about the future of the church and where he wants to go. And I could feel God inside me going, hey, me first or God first? And so no longer than 15 minutes later, again, this is an hour sit down for coffee. I turned to him and I said, hey, the church should be the best run business out there, right? We should worry about processes and leading people and making strategic decisions and financial decisions. He goes, yeah, absolutely. I go, well, could it be a program like this if I was to join? He's probably looking at me going, but you just told me there's no way. And he goes, well, look, if it's God's will, Let's pray about it, and the door will be open. I walked out of his office into my car, didn't even leave the driveway to call Lori, who was probably a little concerned going, why are you in Mac's office, to say, babe, you won't believe it. And Mac pitched me on working at the church. And after the dying of laughter, put the phone back to the ear and went, and I think God wants me to do it. Two and a half years now on staff. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to be on staff at a church to live a God-first program. But how do we live out a God-first focus 
in a me-first world. Each of us have our own situations with that. And so my challenge to you going into this week, coming out of this service, is to go and look at where do I go me first and not him first? Where do I potentially push that into my kids, into my family, into my workplace? How do we live a God-first focus in a me-first world? Let's pray. Dear God, just thank you so much for today, for an opportunity to come out to Lake Hills Church this Sunday morning, to spend time learning about Jacob, learning about the struggles that he has had and what we have in a me-first world. God, allow us to go in to our lives to figure out where our opportunities to be better at that, to ultimately put you first. Allow us to go have a great week. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.